the Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek here with editor Tom Tobin, and we will be looking at some of the highlights of this week, which have been many. How are you doing this morning, Tom? I'm great, Jeff. How are you? I'm down here in the St. Petersburg uh, newsroom, and uh, you're up in Wesley Chapel, and uh, where you where you keep a close eye on the legislature. It's, it's getting uh, to be nitty-gritty time up there in Tallahassee, five weeks left. And some interesting things are happening uh, with uh, school accountability, which we've discussed before, and the budget, and we'll cover some of that today. Well, yeah, this week was really interesting because a bill popped out of the House Education Committee that really could change the face of things if it moves forward. And and there's really a question of whether it will at this point. Even the people who put it forward, Senator or Representative Latvala, I wanted to call him Senator since of his dad is out there, but Representative Latvala and Chair Baleka even said this is a work in progress. We're working towards getting this done, but it it had a lengthy two and a half hour conversation. And what they're trying to do is create a charter school system, and they're talking about these charter schools that have a proven track record in low performing areas, poor neighborhoods, bringing them in, creating a two hundred million dollar fund to support them, and having them come in to those areas where schools, the traditional public schools, have persistently failed. Yeah, the one, and one thing I noticed, too, is, is one thing that would, they would uh, take out of the uh, toolbox for school districts uh, where, that have uh, these, some of these troubled schools is the district managed option, where the, the district takes a, uh, a turnaround school and uh, attempts to turn around, and by changing maybe the principal, changing out the entire staff, or almost all of it, and doing some other things, just a, a situation that's managed locally, and this bill uh, would take that out as an option, right? That's right. That's one of the things that they talked about was these school districts, a lot of them have had the opportunity to improve, and they haven't done so. They pointed specifically at Pinellas County, and they referred to our great Tampa Bay Times Failure Factory series several times. They also referred to Jefferson County, where the State Board of Education recently mandated that they get rid of any sort of local option, and now they're moving to a full charter school system in that tiny county. They're going to only have charter schools there. And they're saying that, you know, those places have had enough time. They're going to move to this charter school system or, you know, uh, an outside operator. Those are their those are their preferred methods. And it didn't really go over so well with some of the Democrats on the committee who are saying, look, why don't we put more money into the troubled schools the way that you're talking about putting money into this new, they called it parallel system. And that kind of refers back to the old lawsuits over whether voucher systems can work or not in Florida if we're creating a parallel system. That would, that would go against the Republican sort of uh, ideal of, of, you know, not money doesn't solve the problem. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you have, a, you have to change the system somehow, right? It's really interesting that you mentioned that because that's exactly what the opposition was saying. You keep saying that money isn't the answer to this problem, but yet you want to take all this money and put it into this charter school system. And why not put it, why not put it into the schools that are struggling? 
there's millions of dollars at, at play here. Like we mentioned, $200 million. And so if that's going to go to that charter school system, the, the argument is why not put it into the existing system and give those people a chance to really improve the opposite side. And you really do have to ask yourself, you know, some of these school districts have failed to show meaningful improvements year after year after year, no matter what they do. So why not give somebody else a chance? And that is the argument here. They want to focus on improvement and not focus on the system because the system in their view is broken. So another thing I noticed in this bill is that so right now you can, uh, you know, have a D grade at your school and, and still sort of stay afloat in the accountability of system as long as you just, you know, have some incremental change. This would, you know, anything below a C is kind of a huge red flag and it would trigger a lot of things, right? I mean, this is this really tightens the screws on this, the system, or, or it would anyway. And not only that, it, it would... Well, yes. And, and in addition to just the turnaround system, it also has that employee component to it. If you have schools that are rated below C in your district, then it would trigger uh, educational emergencies, what they're calling it, that would allow school districts, or I think it would compel school districts to reopen their contracts with their teachers and and say, look, we need to get things out of here so that we can make improvements. And so it would really change collective bargaining in a major way too. And there's another bill that's been out there called the union busting bill in the house that's not seeming to move in the Senate. But there's that sentiment out there that, you know, why are you trying to hurt our teachers? And that's kind of the argument, you know, is it about teachers? Is it about schools? Is it about kids? And there is a very wide ranging philosophy from the far Republican to the far Democrat in the in our legislature. Interesting. So this this bill, this accountability bill, is in the House. Is there anything like it in the Senate, or is the Senate inclined at all to um, to play ball here? This has not been discussed in the Senate. There are bills that are kind of you know on the fringes of this. You know, charter school type bills that it could be attached to if they want to go that way. Because you know, at, once they get into crunch time, bills, even with just a tangential reference, sometimes get attached to other bills. And, you know, we're seeing the debate about other things like this recess. They don't agree on recess right now. Prayer. They don't agree on prayer and religious expression right now. The bills are moving forward. Whether they come together or they don't, who knows. But right now, this is a House thing. And like I said, the chairman said it's a work in progress. And we have to remember that as much as they're talking about this philosophy they've been talking about for years, the budget is looming large over everything. And it could derail much of this conversation. Absolutely. You talk about crunch time. There's our, we're starting to get into the, the, uh, the budget here in a, in a real way uh, with both sides, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, standing their ground. Uh, you've covered some of that debate this week. Uh, there's a huge, um, not, not so huge, actually, uh, when, when you consider the big picture, but there's a difference of some $538 million between the House education budget and the Senate uh, budget. Yes, and it all boils down to that issue of required local effort with property taxes. The House is sticking with its hell no, as in no new tax increases at all. And for them, if property values go up and the tax rates stay the same, that's a property tax increase. And that's the way it's pretty much defined in state law with the trim notices and all that. And so they have a lag to stand on with that. 
The, the Senate, on the other hand, is saying that's incidental. You know, we're not changing the property tax rates. We're not increasing them. We want to just leave them flat. And if property values go up, that brings more money into the system that everybody seems to want to put more money into. They're looking at that as they look at that as an outside factor that's influencing the, the tax, right? That's not the tax itself. So that that's the kind of philosophy, right? The, and the question is whether it's the tax rate itself or is it the tax payment you make and which one is considered to be an increase and and the difference like you said is nearly 540 million dollars and that plays out into you know a bottom line of the house wanting to increase per student spending by 0.27% and the senate by 2.91% and that's a lot of money when you spread it out there's a difference in how much they would spend on transportation instructional materials and all the things they say they want to go on and when you look at the whole proposal of $200 million for the House charter school proposal, I kind of wonder if they would go with the Senate idea of just leaving the tax rate alone, that would create 500 and some odd million dollars. Maybe they could negotiate the $200 million for the charter school program as well. Who knows? But right now they're battling over that, that tax rate. I'll say, and you know, you say, you say negotiate. Uh, uh, Speaker Corcoran is uh, seems in no mood to do that. Um, you know, the Senate uh, they call what the Senate wants to do sort of a, a back quote quote unquote backdoor property tax, and he he's promising unprecedented levels of of tax relief and seems kind of dug in. Um, but again, this is um, you know you, you don't know how much of this is uh, um, just posturing or how much is, is 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 real. Well, that's the way it is with everything. The House wants to put a lot of money into the expansion of Best and Brightest, that controversial bonus for teachers, and they want to add principles to it. The Senate put no money in its budget for that, and you know Senator Simmons, the chairman of Senate Appropriations for Education basically said, you know, it's a starting point. We've got to talk. The Senate is usually the more deliberative body with 40 members. They need to be more collegial. The House is bigger, more confrontational usually. And we'll just have to wait and see, you know, how much this political posturing, running for next office cycles plays in. The good news for teachers, Jeff, is that it looks like both chambers do want to do something pretty dramatic. And we've talked about this before, pretty dramatic with the best and brightest. I mean, it's uh, you know, there it's used to be what the last year's allocation was forty nine million, and this year they're talking both sides over two hundred million. Even though the Senate hasn't gotten specific about it yet, so it seems like something is afoot uh, there. Uh, although they they have not um, agreed, come to any agreement, or really discussed a whole lot really about the what the measurement would be. You know, right now. As we all know, it's a, it's this controversial measurement of SAT and ACT scores. Uh, uh, the teachers uh, on tests that teachers took back when they were high school kids. Right. The House bill has a lot of conversation about adding different measures and changing the metrics quite a bit, adding principles in there. But that's been somewhat controversial. But moving on largely partisan basis, it's all up in the air right now because, like I said, the House and Senate are just on divergent paths, even towards the same goal in a lot of regards. And so there's there's a few more weeks of session left, and we'll have to wait and see what makes it through to the finish line. Absolutely. Well, well let's uh, switch gears and go locally here. Uh, Jeff, you've uh, written a story uh, that appeared uh, in, the, on, in Tampa Bay.com on Friday, uh, the day we're doing this podcast, about uh, a sticky situation in Pasco County where uh, there was a mix-up regarding 
the calculations, GPA calculations regarding the uh, valedictorian uh, competition. And um, that has uh, sort of triggered a larger debate about valedictorian and salutatorian uh, in general, that, that whole system. Uh, can you talk about what you've uh, uncovered up in Pasco County? Well, what happened was in one particular high school, two students got two different sets of advice on how the, calc- how the courses are selected and used in creating class rank. Both followed the recommendations to the letter, and unfortunately, one was wrong. And when they announced the valedictorian at that school, it was a lot of celebration. And then a couple of days later, they came in and said, well, you know, we weren't exactly right. So we're going to make you be co-valedictorians or both valedictorians. I don't know if they're using the co-term. And and they're going to move on. There was a big fight over it. There's a lot of, of parental wringing of hands and so forth. But it brings back the issue that the superintendent in the district raised three years ago, which was, I don't like the valedictorian and salutatorian honors because it creates problems like this, where people are fighting and gaming the system and trying to find ways just to get that extra little thousandth of a point to be ranked number one, when in fact, you know, the difference between these students is probably non-existent. Everybody's doing really well. Why, Why don't we just do something where we use the Latin honors that they use in colleges, magna cum laude and so forth. If you're in the top X, you know, your GPA is over a certain level, your highest honors or something like that. Three years ago, he took a beating locally, even nationally. Fox and Friends went after him and said that, you know, he's trying to just do away with recognizing who's really the best. And so now he's not so willing to go there again. But now the school board members who were really not keen on the concept three years ago are saying like, eh, well, maybe that's not such a bad idea after all. That's interesting, that, that turnabout. You know, this this whole thing, uh, you know, on a personal level reminds me of, you know, when I, my, my oldest child uh, started high school. In her freshman year, uh, we attended the first um, uh, PTA meeting, and parents at that meeting, uh, the first meeting of the year in freshman year, were asking about quality points uh, so that they could... Um, successfully navigate their child uh, to be the valedictorian or the salutatorian four years away. And I thought, two things, you know, wow, I'm really behind here. (laughs) And also just uh, at a certain point, there's a danger of it, you know, all this not being about education anymore, but about, you know, the recognition and about other things besides uh, education. We, We know that a lot of students in who are admired in this competition take extra classes, online classes, uh, to, to boost their GPA and, and get a leg up on their fellow students. Uh, so it's an interesting, interesting dynamic. Uh, but it all, it, as you mentioned, it gets caught up in this whole debate about about competitions. You know, our our kids can't hold up under the pressure anymore you know that you know this the skeptical uh, this sort of kids these days uh, argument uh, aren't up to what uh, they used to be um so it you know it gets it, it gets tied up in a lot of other uh issues but uh and i, re- I remember that pinellas, pinellas county dealt with this a few years ago too when i was covering that that district and uh they quickly stepped aside uh, stepped away from the idea of getting away from vows and sals. Um, it's uh, more than anything. I think it's just tradition. You know, um, families are used to that. There are some school districts that have done away with it. Though Citrus County, just to our north, has 
gone strictly to the honorifics the and and been more than 15 years, I believe. And I talked to people at University of Florida a while ago, and they said, we understand how that works. There are some schools that just really think that valedictorians are important. You can get scholarships and so forth with that. So that makes it important. But on the other hand, a lot of them look at, you know, the rigor of your coursework, the types of things you do outside of school. And so being valedictorian for the tenths or hundreds or thousands of points doesn't always make that big of a difference, especially to the major universities that a lot of these kids want to go to because they are tops in their field, tops in their school, whether number one, number two, or even maybe number 10. So, Jeff, it's the time on our podcast when we when we talk about uh, things that caught our eye during the week. Uh, what uh, Any stories or other issues that uh, got your attention? Yeah, what caught my eye is prom dresses. Prom dresses in Duval County at a high school there where the school put out a flyer talking about the dresses that girls should and shouldn't wear. And they showed different styles, low cut backs and so forth. And they, I think, made the unfortunate choice of words and saying, like, this is what good girls wear. <laughs> it caused an inter, a, a national blowback like you wouldn't believe. The school district apologized, said it's not our policy to say those things. That's not in our in our code of conduct or anything like that. They've gone back and forth. Or they backed up on this quite a bit, but it's out there now, and it's still an internet sensation about whether the girls are good girls or not, depending on the prom dresses they wear. And um, I got nothing to say about it, <laughs> but it did catch my eye. Oh, my. It's, it's always dangerous territory, the prom or the homecoming dance, uh, and, you know, with adults trying to regulate things, including how the kids dance, which is, you know, kind of a losing battle. Uh, <laughs> what about for you, Tom? What do you, what do you got? My, uh, my, <laughs> my thing is, um, a little more serious than prom dresses. I, uh, we all uh, heard, uh, a few days ago when, uh, the Trump administration, um, announced its budget, uh, there was one proposal up in Washington that kind of stood out, uh, on the education budget, um, and it was, uh, an after-school, uh, lunch program, or that, um, where the, the new budget director, Mick Mulvaney, told reporters that uh, the reason they were considering cutting it is because there was, quote, no demonstrable, demonstrable evidence, end quote, that it, that it worked, that it increased uh, student performance. Um, one of our reporters, uh, Colleen Wright, looked at that program uh, this week, uh, and it actually is not just an after-school uh, program. It's actually a before-school program and after school kids kids uh it's called the it's from a, a federal grant called the 21st century community learning centers uh program and uh kids arrive around 7 seven thirty in the morning and they don't leave uh, the school uh until uh, about five forty-five. uh and the the uh, uh school sees them off with a with a hot meal and um one side benefit is the uh, for the parents anyway is that it's it's after school care uh, that they that is uh, hard to would be otherwise hard for them to pay for, uh, and uh, it's a, nationally it's a one point two billion dollar um, program, but uh, in 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 our area uh, Pinellas County is the is the main user of this uh, this grant with about a, a thousand students involved um, at a, at a cost of about two million dollars. And then between our other th uh, three counties, Pasco, Pasco, Hernando, and Hillsboro, uh, another thousand kids uh, participate. So, 
it was interesting to get a local view of that it's a national uh, uh, budget uh, item that's on the chopping block, and we'll see now uh, what what goes what actually goes through in the budget process up in Washington. It is very interesting because when they talk about numbers in the abstract, one point five billion sounds like a lot, but when you're talking about the individual student that it affects. billion becomes maybe $3,000 for a kid who needs a place to stay after school and can get some extra help. And then it doesn't sound, it sounds more important that way, doesn't it? It does. It's a, we talked to some parents at two middle schools here in Pinellas County, uh, Dunedin Highland Middle School and Oak Grove Middle School in Clearwater. And this is a very, very real thing to them uh, that impacts their daily lives. Um, So, and they, they were, um, more or less uh, pleading with uh, the president and the Congress to take another look at this program. And on that very somber note, we will say thank you for listening to the Gradebook Podcast. We enjoy talking with you and, and hope that you will come back and have these conversations with us on our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. Check out the news regularly on our blog, tampabay.com slash gradebook. I am Jeff Solacek. And I'm Tom Tobin. Thank you again for listening.